Welcome to The Deeper Dive. I'm your host, Rob Brendel, pastor at Denver United Church, joined, as always, by my venerated, esteemed, <laughs> dignified, and most noble co- co-host, George Towers. Hello. I, that's the best introduction I've ever had in my life. You're both venerated. What is venerated? Esteemed. Um, esteemed. Okay. Noble. There we go. Dignified. <laughs> Greatly significant. Rob, I will say, man, I love doing these podcasts with you. I love just talking about uh, the Word of God, talking about Jesus, what it means for uh, us as individuals, as our church. I love being your venerated podcast (laughs) co-host. I venerate you hereby. (laughs) That's what the Deeper Dive is all about, taking the Word of God as we um, enter it on Sunday morning and then digging a little further down taking the time to unpack and and maybe um, leaving the trail a little bit, sometimes to talk about the theological significance, controversies, or implications around a passage or an idea. Other times to to chew a little more on the applications. What does this mean for us? This is uh, subversive stuff, Christianity. And uh, really our hope is that what happens on Sunday morning here at the church or in our house-to-house gatherings as we worship from our living rooms, that's not the end but the beginning. That's not the meal but the appetizer. You know, over the years I've had people come to our church and say, well, we left our other church because we weren't getting fed. Right. And while I get what they mean, and they shouldn't be, be starved, um, at times I've, I've wondered, were you expecting them to spoon feed you the entire meal? Hmm. The goal, I believe, of our gatherings yeah. publicly is, is not a meal, but an appetizer, right? An entree uh, comes later. And the entree is the Holy Spirit in us, individually and in community, um, Chewing on the word, yeah. unpacking it, putting it into practice, stress testing it during the course of a week in the life of following Jesus. And so that's what we're attempting to do and uh, to stimulate and model with the deeper dive. The deeper dive. Love it. Well said. We started on Sunday a brand new series called Strangeland with film noir motif. Quick shout out to, if y'all don't know our creative director, Lindsay Greer, yo, you should. Absolutely fantastic artwork, and it's just great. Sorry, I had to interrupt you and First just do the shout-out First class, vibes, and mood, and I think so much of what we do together isn't the content, it's the culture around it. Yeah. The same content can, do, can be delivered in a life-giving or life-sucking way, and <laughs> right. Lindsay does yeah. such a great job of making it life-giving and, and so love. on point. Strangeland comes from the idea of being strangers in a strange land, of course, And it seems that from the beginning of Scripture to the end, there is a consistent thread that winds throughout much of the narrative and uh, and the didactic, the teaching material, to the effect that as God's people, from the very beginning called to the covenant, um, to the end, the church going on forward in perpetuity, we are called to live out covenant relationship with God and one another in the context of being aliens and strangers, foreigners, strangers in a strange land. Yeah, I never, as we were preparing this series and we were talking it through a little bit, I, you know, I had never really noticed that particular theme before, um, particularly in, in Genesis. I know that's kind of where we're focusing this series on, but even throughout so much of the Old and New Testament, it's always about 
a group of people who found themselves or himself or herself in a space where they didn't fit in. Um, even the whole theme of exile happening over and over and over again in later in the Old Testament where the people get it right and they obey God and then it goes well and then they disobey and things fall apart. Like it's always the, the theme of exile, of not fitting in, of being, I had never noticed that before, but once you, once you pointed it out, I was like, yes, like that's, that's one of the main themes that continues even into the New Testament, into life of Jesus. So I, I just had never noticed it before. So I want to start here with the, the premise of the Old Testament teachings, the stories of the patriarchs and their wives, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, uh, Jacob and... Well, the two wives. Both of them. Yeah, we'll, we'll but, talk about that next time. Yeah, right. You'll, you'll break that down for us next time. Actually, Pastor Daniel <laughs> yeah, he's got is going to break that down. And, and I think he's got a word from the Lord on polygamy. <laughs> Well, and then Joseph, transition, smooth transition. Uh, there. Joseph in Egypt. Each of these uh, expresses the the beginning and uh, exploration of the establishing of the covenant with God and His chosen people in the context very specific to each of them of of being a foreigner. So the question is: Is that historical example um, teachable? Does it pass the good sense test that that means something more? Or is it just a record of what happened to happen to these four guys? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think before you answer, I think I do have to validate the second part of what you just said. about. I think so, some of what is in Scripture, while all of it is inspired and useful for teaching and equipping us today— all of it isn't necessarily a direct one-to-one overlap or corollary to what we're supposed to do, right? Like, so our, because Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him and show God that, you know, I'll do it whatever you want. Am I supposed to take Noah and Levi up to a 14er with some wood and like, see if an angel stops my hand? Like, see, some of it is just saying what happened, you know what I mean? Um, but with this particular observation, with it being so... Uh, pervasive throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, like again and again, people called out, um, set apart uh, in location um, or in vocation or what they're called to do. I, I don't know. I, I I do buy that that there is there is some teaching element to that um, of of hey, leave everything you know and go to a place where you're the only one. Um, we see that so much. Where I don't think it could be ignored or maybe just chalked off as hey, that's what happened to them. Um, it seems to be some sort of a pattern of some sort to me. So on that note, how, how to study and how to understand the historical narrative genre of Scripture. Of course, Scripture is made up of, of, a, of a vast array of, of different writings yeah. and a number of genres. We have to understand poetry differently than historical narrative. Exactly. They're all the inspired word of God. They're all useful for teaching, correction, etc. But they're different forms, and it would seem they're different forms on purpose. God Absolutely. was not unaware that in delivering his revelation to us through the, the imperfect, cloudy medium of human beings at different times, he was also doing it in different media. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 10 speaks of our ancestors and, and how we're not unaware of how they... Um, we're living and what 
they were facing. They were all baptized into Moses. Uh, they ate the same spiritual food and drink. Um, it says, don't be idolaters, as some of them were, right? Now, down in verse 11, it talks about, it says, do not grumble, verse 10, as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things, these experiences which our ancestors had, it says in verse 11, right. happened to them as examples and were wow. written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Yeah. Now we can take that to a, an unproductive extreme and say that everything that anyone did was an example for us, such right, as right. being asked to sacrifice our son or you know the, the uh, innumerable atrocities which human beings committed against one another, uh, which are recorded in, some of which are recorded in scripture. Right. But the question then for, for good students of the scripture is, which things hmm. happened as examples and <laughs> warnings to the Old Testament ancestors and which things merely happened? Yeah. And the scripture's historical account, it means little more than that they happened, right? And so we have to put on um, our, our hermeneutics glasses, the study of the study of scripture, and be very intentional when we change formats from mm. New Testament epistles, as we've been studying in gospel accounts this summer, to an Old Testament historical narrative. In this case... That's really good. In this case, what I hear you saying, and I, I think you, you would know I agree because I did it on Sunday, I think <laughs> right. the, these stories are, are foundational. They're, they're stories of four people and their families among the 400 million or however many lived that made the point of the covenant. They're not just four people. They're four people to whom and through whom God introduced his covenant with man. That's a really great point. Yeah, the whole thing is sort of built out of these four individuals, these four clans, these four families, um, really one family. But yeah, um, you said something else that made me think of, you know, how do we know which, you know, is 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 for us or instructed to us or things that just happened. Yeah, I think another way to, th to, to, to think about that might be anytime we engage scripture or read a story about what happened to Abraham, right? Or Isaac or Joseph or Leah or whatever, we're, we're always doing it through a lens, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're doing it through the way we understand the world today. We're doing it through what seems to be applicable. I think one good way just to know what's for us and what, May, maybe isn't, is does it apply? Like, do you see yourself in it? Um, you know what I mean? Like, there's probably some things that maybe we're reading into scripture today that people were not talking about and thinking about a thousand years ago. But it's relevant to us because of our time and our place. And to me, the whole idea of, man, being a Christian or following Jesus kind of makes me feel like I'm running against the grain of culture in some ways. It makes me feel like I'm sticking out like a sore thumb in a lot of ways. And because I feel that way, <laughs> we see that in the, in the scripture. I think because we, 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 we notice that in our actual experience on this planet, like I think that it's meaningful to, to extract from the old Testament as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now I would contest that the one statement and, and, and maybe I, I suspect we we're pretty, similar in our view here. Yeah. But I, I would suggest that all of it is for us. Right, right, right. Exactly. But that's, it's, that's well said. Um, it, 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 it's all useful 
but it's, it doesn't all have the same use. That's exactly right. right. It's, and I think this is what you're saying. I just want to unpack the mm-hmm. unpacking. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's all, um, purposeful, but it doesn't all serve the same purpose. And one of the ways, one of the things we do when we, when we study historical narrative, and, and I think the old Testament in general is ask what did it what did it mean first in the context in which it was written, which is what you just said. Mm-hmm. What did it mean to them? Because it's not gonna mean the opposite today to us that it meant then to them. Exactly. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right. Now, it might have a different layer of application, but it's not gonna have a fundamentally different meaning. Then secondly, I would I would suggest in in establishing an old testament hermeneutic, hmm. figuring out how we go about studying scripture in this genre. Um, we, we need to remember that the scriptures are never going to mean in their confusing or less clear expression, the opposite of what they say in their more clear expression. Exactly. In other words, That's good. the, 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 the less clear scripture is never going to mean the opposite of what the more, the more clear, clear scripture says. So uh, I think rule number mm-hmm. one, or maybe two in hermeneutics is, um, the harmony of scripture, right? We interpret the word of God in light of the word of God. So in asking these four dudes and their wives and their journey, is their, um, geography significant or incidental to the point of the passage? I think we got to ask what we, what we Mm -hmm. want it to mean, what we're trying to take from it or what, what we're inclined to see that they're strangers in a strange landness has particular significance for us. Is that consistent with the whole counsel of scripture and throughout the, the, the teaching and life of Jesus himself, the, the acts of the apostles, and then the epistles in the new Testament, we see the, the, the idea reverberate that as Christ's followers, recipients of the new covenant, such as we are, we are aliens and strangers in a foreign land. And I think the, yep. the clear teaching bears out the plausible but uncertain interpretation. Yeah, that's so good. That's true. All right. So we're going to take for the purposes of this discussion that, that the... Um, the lives and the geography of these founding fathers and mothers is is theologically significant. It has teaching, it's didactic, it has teaching significance. It's not just context for the story, right? right? Um, now, with that lens on, as you mm-hmm. said, Abraham is told, as we right as we meet him, in the first, the same sentence <laughs> where he's introduced, right. he's Abram, God comes to him, no notion that God and he hung out prior right. and says, I want, here's, hi, God, nice to meet you. Yeah. Leave. Right. Man. Leave your home, your father's family and go. Yeah. That's it. I he mean, doesn't even say go to Castle Rock. He just says go. He to, the that, I mean, I will to the place show I you. will show you. So which direction do you want me to go? That's one of the great mysteries. Which, I mean... When? Which direction did he start going? He obviously started traveling in some direction, and then somehow God showed him along the way. The faith of that ask is is extraordinary and of the response, and that's why we can look at Abraham and say he was the father of faith. By faith, uh, Abraham trusted God, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Now, his son Isaac, we're going there this week. Isaac was born in a strange land, but... He was not under any misgivings as to whether he was local. He knew very well that he came from a different land. And yep. when his dad wanted him to get married, remember, he sent his servant 
to go back to his homeland, lest he marry one of the local women. And his servant's like, why don't I just bring Isaac with me? He's like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't bring Isaac with you. Because for some reason, which admittedly, perhaps I haven't figured out We're yet. supposed to be here. We're supposed to be here. Right. I don't want him to go feel what it feels like to be among his own people and not want to come back. Because God made this much exceedingly clear. Man. That's so true that the, I mean, even people that aren't maybe Christian or haven't been following Jesus for any length of time, know the father Abraham, like they know the whole jam, but to to think about we're introduced to this person in the context of them leaving everything that's comfortable. Like that's the backdrop of the entire story that carries on to his son as well. Like that they, (laughs) that they are in a new place in a strange land with people that aren't like them. Like, that's a critical piece of the story from the very beginning. Isaac of the four it gets get, gets the least narrative. We got a ton on Joseph. Yep. We got a, a lot on Jacob and a pretty good a bit on Abraham. Isaac, I mean, I, he he's... We know about him as a, ba- as a kid getting almost sacrificed, <laughs> but he's just kind of a spectator or, you know, unwilling right. participant yeah, yeah. in this <laughs> narrative. But as far as what he does in his prime, um, it's really just him trying to find a way to fit in and make a home. But God prospers him like he did Abraham before him. And so he's blessed. But on the other hand, he's never really settled. Hmm. And I think that blessed, but not settled that, um, strife and struggle, but, um, prosperity and abundance tension that die, um, that duality characterizes his life and really all of the patriarchs. And maybe that's what life in in the covenant, this side of eternity looks like. So, yeah, I don't want to jump ahead of where you're going, but when you say that, you know, that the tension of between blessed and not settled of, there was a certain extent, a certain extent to which Abraham and Isaac and these guys succeeded within the culture, um, but yet didn't fit in at the same time. Right. It's not a, <laughs> it's not an either or. And I, and I think about, like I fast forward to the New Testament. I know this is probably where we're going to go. Um, you think about Paul saying things like, you know, I became all things to all people so that I might win some. Right. Like on that one hand, you have a fit in like, you know, blend ins for the purpose of winning some. But when you win some, when people decide to follow Jesus, they're invited into being foreigners. Right? So he's becoming a local <laughs> right. to invite people to be foreigners. It's it's always attention. And I'm noticing that on, on that note, each time one of the patriarchs, patriarchs starts to settle in, get a little traction, feel at home, God moves them. Man. Right? Isaac's settling in there and he's prospering. And so what happens? A famine. And God says, I want you to go here. And he's like, for real? And then, <laughs> right. and then Jacob is finally, he's like second generation immigrant. He's, he feels like he's same sort of different as everyone else at least. And then he gets in this scrape with his brother and he's got the two wives and he ends up living like an exile somewhere else. And then Joseph's lap around the track, he, um, is there with his brothers and they're starting to fill their land. And so a famine sends him to Egypt where one more time he's Hmm. an alien and stranger. You see it in the New Testament. Jesus's disciples are just starting to get their feet under him. They're starting to be like, wow, this thing's working. People are coming. 
You're multiplying food. You're casting out demons. You're healing the sick. They're all receiving your message. This is awesome. No sooner do they start to feel a little at home and good than he's like, okay, go without me. Wow. Two by two. Oh, and don't take a bag. Right. Or money. You take, you take shoes, though. Or food. <laughs> right. right. But you can take shoes. Thank you for uh, that, Can Lord. I take... A belt? Right, no. Can yeah. I wear underwear? And I'll, take like, you, I'll take you one step further, right? It's like right after his death and resurrection. He comes, he, Jesus comes back, and the disciples' initial question, their response is like, is now the time to set up your, your kingdom? Like here. Like we're going to do the thing here, right, in Jerusalem. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay here for a minute until you get the Holy Spirit, and then you're actually going to go everywhere else. Uh, the the des- like our natural desires to want to stay right. here. To- Jesus introduced the new covenant in the context of Roman Empire oppression yep. of the little backwater nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. They were barely a blip on the the map of geopolitics in the first century, and it was at that time, not the time of their glory, the temple, right. David, um, peace and prosperity on all sides, Gosh. Solomon and rulers from the world over coming to hear his great wisdom. No, it was in a time that they were being ground down and held under the thumb of their oppressors that Jesus introduces the kingdom, and it's in the context of a growing Jewish diaspora, a dispersion mm. because of that persecution that the the New Testament church begins such that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter are going out and strengthening these young churches. And remember he says in 1 Peter 4, hey, don't be surprised that you're going through these trials. I mean, you're in Jerusalem and you got roughed up for being Jewish and you got sent out, you come to know Jesus and you're getting persecuted. Don't be surprised at what you're going through, hmm. at being an alien and stranger, at being on the, on the opposing end of the oppressor's spear. Don't be surprised as though something strange <laughs> were happening to you. Being strange is the new normal. Wow. Living in a strange land, that's God's way this side of eternity. It won't always be that way. Now we see dimly like in a mirror. Then we'll see face to face. Now we see in part. Then we'll know fully even as we're fully known. But for now, don't be surprised. Maybe this is the way it's going to be. Maybe this is the way God intended it. Yeah, and I think I'll just say this too. Some Christians feel like strangers in a strange land because they're strange. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, let's just call a spade a spade. Some Christians are just mad weird, right? So I, I do see the tension, though, in Jesus' life, right? In John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, uh, as it is. But you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world, right? So there is that you, you have been called out. You are not supposed to fit. But then when you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't walk around and a bunch of people hated him all the time. Like there was crowds following him. People loved him. Sin, sinners and outcasts. It, people, it wasn't like the entirety of the world hated him. Right. But there was a component of just his nature that was going counter to uh, the kingdoms of this world, right? So I don't know. I think that's the, like, like you said earlier, this tension of you're never going to fit. That's the way God designed it on purpose. Mm -hmm. But some people I've noticed use that as an excuse to not 
um, maybe do what Paul said, like, hey, I become all things to all people that I might win some. They're just strange and weird and push the world away because, hey, the world hates me. No, you're mean. Right. That's why the world hates you. So we create, you know these, self, we create these narratives like self-fulfilling prophecies. Right. Uh, another one that I see uh, as a, a, a false outworking of this kingdom idea is the idea that uh, this world is is passing away, right. meaning that this world is no good to God. You know, it says this world in its present form is passing away. And we understand that to mean God's just sick and tired of it. He has no use for the world. He's about ready to, to rip it up and throw it in the scrap heap or light it on fire mm-hmm. or cause an asteroid to leave its course and blow us back into another ice age. So get ready. Don't, hold on loosely. Don't invest yourself in this world. Right. You're Don't strangers, make the most aliens, of time. Just, just, we hear make the most of time and what we translate is bide your time. Time. Yeah. But but in any moment, this car might be unmanned in the event of rapture. Wow. I'm going to another wow. place. And we make, for one reason or another, this world the bad thing that God's sick of and heaven someplace else, something other that's out there that's elevated from this mm. place and we'll get to go there. Now, there are plenty of yes, good reasons of through history. The, uh, the, the, the theology of slavery understood the hope of eternity, of our being eternal beings, in a way that I think very few modern Western Christians ever will because of how present the feeling that this world was not their home. Yep. It couldn't, a world created by God couldn't be this holistically bad. And so they held on to the sweet by and by, waiting for the, the, mm-hmm. the chariot to swing low and take me away. Yeah. But in fact... In the modern world, it seems it's the opposite to the the theology of slavery and that gospel narrative that ensnares too many of us. The idea that um, this is really the good. Mm. It It was the error of the Sadducees. Right. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God, and so you've allowed yourself to continue to to be deceived by one one another into thinking that this is all there is or this is as good as it gets. So there is another and better, Mm -hmm. but it's not separate and removed. (laughs) How does that work? No, no, that's what I was going to say. I don't think any of us knows like fully, right? There's an, there's an element to this that is mystery, that is unknowable. And what I hear you saying, and maybe the invitation um, uh, of this series is to live in the tension of that. You yeah. know what I mean? To, to, to be strangers in a strange land isn't to snap to either side of that understanding. One that just says, well, I'm not I'm not here anyway, man. You know, like the people that, like you said, drive the busted up car and says, don't judge my wit, baby. My, you know, my treasure's in heaven. Yeah. Like there's that, that like all of this is going away. So I'm just going to get there. Um, or snapping to the other side, um, that this is all there is. So I'm just going to like make my home here and, and, and blend in. And like, there's a way to hold two things at the same time. And I feel like that's the in, part of the invitation of this series. In Revelation, the Apostle John got to peek into what we're trying to get our minds around. Uh, he, got a, he got a fast forward glimpse and Jesus said to him, behold, hmm. I am making all things new. Wow. And so there is a, a future that yes. we are created for, a heaven of which we are citizens, such that we are aliens and strangers mm-hmm. in the earth 
in its present form. The earth in its present form, Scripture says, is passing away. Yes, in its present form. Right. And so what does that mean? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is, is coming here, right? God is making it new. He's restoring He's refurbishing. He's recreating his good creation. Remember, Mm. God created the earth, and after each day, he said, this is good. This is good. This is good. God is the same today as he was then. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, um, the house we're living in now, we bought it, and just super lucky to be in there, and we're in a space where we could remodel it. So there was this period of time where we're in our house, we're in the place where we're going to stay, but it's being redone. Um, the floors are all over the place. There's, there's no, the paint is chipped. There's a hole in that wall. I'm in my house. That's my location, but it's being renewed. I don't need to go somewhere else, but the, the place where I am is being changed. Um, I don't, you know what I mean? Like I don't fit here now because right. it's not done. Right. It's, it's the living in the already, but not yet. Yes. The, the kingdom is and is to come. Yes. Right. And I think we see that theological nuance, that mystery of the kingdom in the very beginning in the call of Abraham. He goes to Canaan and he gets there. It's not like we've all been on this 6,000 year journey to this mystical place that we'll finally arrive at called Canaan. He gets there and he lives in Canaan. It's just not the promised land yet. Right. (laughs) Right. He's living in pre-Canaan. Right. It's the house that's not been remodeled. It's got the blue carpet. It's Canaan, but it's not Zion. Exactly. Right? And that's what we're living in. Mm. We're living in um, the, the kingdom that is coming. And one day we will live in the kingdom come. That's so good. And so the question that these examples, these patriarchs and matriarchs ask us is, how do we live along the way? And Jesus set us an example. He was the ultimate insider. Mm. And he became the ultimate outsider. Yeah. And scripture invites us to come outside the camp with him. Not because God doesn't value this world, but because this world in its present state, this isn't our home. I love that Lewis quote. It would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, Hmm. but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an Mm. ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Mm. And I think that's what the Apostle John's getting at when he writes, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. He's not saying, look around and when you like to go out and mountain bike, Rob, shame on you. You're being carnal. You shouldn't like mountain biking. God thought of mountains. God probably thought of bikes or put the idea in the heart of man, (laughs) right? right? He's saying that there's more. Hmm. Loving the world in its present form fills the place that the love of the Father is designed to live. Yeah. And causes us not to wish for too much. I wish I could just have the same pleasures or the same fulfillment that worldly people have. It causes us to settle for too little. Because our Father who gave us the kingdom, who invites us to life everlasting, won't he also graciously give us all those things as well? Exactly. So what am I saying? Yes, George, there will be mountain biking in heaven. <laughs> right. I know that's good news for you, man. I think it's, uh, it's the paradox that Jesus calls us to live into that you've talked about a lot of. Lose your life and you'll find it. 
It's not that these desires are bad or wrong all the time. They're just insufficient. And when we lose, mm. when we allow them to lose the weight that, that we assign them in our hearts, then we don't end up lacking. That's the, that's the, that's the paradox. When we lose these mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. we don't lack. We actually gain yeah. the, the fullness of life that God wants to offer us. But that, that perspective takes faith. And yep. that's why it was by faith that Abraham, Scripture teaches us, left home and family. And it takes and you went being to a place he would be shown. And it takes you being comfortable, being uncomfortable, comfortable right. being a stranger, feeling like no one else is maybe living this way. And if there's anything that I think, as, as you you know did, did week one of this, that is encouraging of like you know how do we live into this? I think it's just man, there's something about solidarity, just knowing that like I'm. If I feel out of place or if I feel like living this walk is, is awkward or <laughs> like feels backwards, there's, you're not crazy. Right. Maybe we're closer That's, to sane than we've ever been in 2020, <laughs> ironically. And right, like I said, like that doesn't fix anything necessarily, but it kind of makes me feel at least better that I'm not insane. Like I'm not doing this wrong. You know what I mean? And, and there's a premium on that in 2020 because yeah. there's a lot of feeling like I'm crazy and um, putting this eternal concept in this crazy year context, the question we ended Sunday asking, and I hope we're, we're discussing in our house-to-house groups, could it be we're actually uniquely suited as God's covenant people to thrive hmm. in a time of global hardship, to thrive when others are struggling because Man. humanity is not feeling comfortable. It's not feeling at home. Could we have in a way an opportunity here, an advantage in showing the light of Jesus in the darkness? Definitely feels like an opportunity. And also, man, like I think it it brings that healthy um, level of conviction as well. You know what I mean? Like when, when times like this just reveal the faith and the, 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 the journey that you've actually progressed on so far, like, man, if I'm looking exactly like the people in the world that don't know Jesus that are falling apart during this time, I'm like, dang, like, I don't think that's like meant to condemn us in any way, but it's just to say there's so much more. Mm -hmm. There's so much more. We're meant to look different. Mm -hmm. It's easy to look to, to, to make sure everything's fine when, when the world is not falling apart. I don't think you get credit for that. It's like Jesus saying, everyone loves their, their friends. Even the pagans do that. But like, but keeping our grips about us, in a time where no one else is, I think is where it means something. It's kind of revealed in me a lot of the work I think we all have to do in our own hearts as well. Amen. God made us for such a time as this. We've said that from the beginning of the pandemic and after COVID is a thing of the past, there will be other challenges to face humanity locally and globally. And it's always been the inheritance of the people of God who have built strong strange land muscles (laughs) living this covenant life to thrive in the hard times. Not to not feel the hard, but one to recognize, okay, I'm not crazy, but also by God's grace, I can do this. Yes, I can endure. I was made to endure. This never was my home. Yes, that's it. I was made for this. (laughs) What'd you say? We could actually crush this time. Yeah. Like, God, how do you want your spirit to dwell through me, to live in me and to flow out of me, to actually crush this time that we're in, man? That's the invitation. Strangers in a strange land. There it is. 
So much more to talk about. Can't wait to continue the deeper dive on this subject. I hope that throughout the city, throughout the week, you all are uh, remembering the word of God and, and engaging one another around God's eternal truth. Our words mean nothing. His words mean everything. Stand firm in them, friends, so and good. shine with his love. George, you want to pray us out? Holy Spirit, would you help us to be strangers in a strange land? We're not crazy. This is who you've called and made us to be. Help us live into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you all. Have an amazing week. Stand firm, shine in the darkness, and we'll talk to you next time. Love you guys.